guys. Uh, this is War Council. My name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. And I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And War Council is a uh, hobby-centered podcast for miniature enthusiasts. It is Friday, May 6th. We um, just missed Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, the day after. Actually. The day after. Did you celebrate? You know, we thought about <laughs> making tacos or something, but yeah. we decided not to. Like we're uh, not uh, we're not really Cinco de Mayo people. Not that their independence isn't also important, but uh, <laughs> I'm just not. You know, that's interesting. Do you think they actually celebrate like July Fourth? I think they do. In my <laughs> mind, it's as big a holiday to them as July Fourth is to us. Yeah. I, I think like fireworks and vendors yeah. and bad amusement park rides. And um, do you not think that? I kind of don't, well, I don't think they probably care about our independence that much. I well, know. I don't think they care about our independence. I think they care about their independence. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I thought, that's what I'm saying. Like, do you think they you celebrate think they... our July 4th? Oh, like we celebrate I see what you're saying. Oh, I get your point. Yeah, no, good point. That's kind of funny. <laughs> um, you know what I think is really funny that it occurred to me the other day is that um, the whole May the 4th be with you thing, the whole yeah. Star Wars thing, isn't it kind of riding the, like, why did they put it there? Why did they put it in May? Why did they put it in June or something? Like, why... Why was why did they have to kind of steal Cinco de Mayo's thunder? Is my point. Um, you know, it's they like probably weren't even thinking about. It. I don't. I don't. Maybe maybe they weren't. But like, pe- a few years ago, <laughs> people started wishing me May the Fourth be with you, and I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. And then I looked it up, and I was like, does Star Wars even need a holiday? I was like, I guess it does. I like, so. what happens on like what what happens on this day? People geek out even more. And why is um, that? Was that like the day in Star Wars world? Did like the Death Star get blown up on May Fourth in Star Wars Land? Like, don't get me wrong; I'm not trying to alienate <laughs> listeners. I love Star Wars, but I just don't understand the whole May the Fourth be with you thing. It doesn't uh, make sense. They just they wanted a day to celebrate their addiction. I, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, uh, well, first off, welcome back to the show. Uh, this is going to be episode twenty-seven. Uh, we were hoping to have an interview with um, Army Painter with you today, but being that he's in Denmark, it's actually really hard to get a hold of this guy. Yeah. So instead, today we're going to do an episode that we've entitled All About Paints, and we're going to compare different paint brands and different paint types. One of the questions we get a lot is, um, what paints do you use? I get this question about you know three or four times a year through eBay, through clients, and they say, hey, what paints do you use? And I always respond that I am a paint whore, if you will. <laughs> I use them all. I, I find that you there have, are paints from every range yeah. I have. You have a plethora downstairs. It's ridiculous. And what's funny is that if I find a color I don't love, I will burn it out and then just not buy it again. But I won't waste it. I, will, I won't throw it away. I'll use it. Um, so that's that's going to be the main topic of our discussion today. Before we get into that, though, um, the last couple of weeks have been super busy. There's been lots going on. So let's chat a little bit yeah. about everything that's going on. Um, why don't you start off with some of the stuff you're, you're excited from the last couple of weeks? Well, uh, it's like where to start. Um, well, I guess from the hobby perspective, focus on some of the new releases. Um, Lots of new releases. Yes. Uh, quite a few. Uh, most notable, for me at least, was the GW release of the Oryx, which if you guys... So they're not calling them Orcs anymore? They're, they're calling Oryx. Them Oryx. I think they can actually like trademark that. They yeah. couldn't trademark That makes sense. Orcs, so. Like how they did it with Seraphon for the... Exactly. Uh, yeah, okay. So... Um, for those of you who heard our podcast a few weeks, uh, I hated on the uh, the dwarves. Not so much with these. What are dwarves going to be called now? Uh, I think what their new name going to be called dwarf. I can't remember. Dwarf. Not rumors. I think that's the uh, Skyrim or whatever Marlin. I can't remember. Okay, <laughs> dwarves. Anyways, um, the orcs are awesome. Uh, they released three new kits. They had like uh, the heavy. I, I don't remember the names of them. Yeah, it was like the heavily armored ones. They had some of the war boss. Actually, had an extra. Do you feel kit. like they're a little war to war, world of Warcrafty though? They kind of look like they're they're bigger and they're bulkier. They're more cartoony, and they're almost sort of like I don't know. I, I, I'm 
Hilton on a different camp. I really? Yeah, kind of. I don't um, think that... I feel like they're trying to bridge the gap between fantasy and 40K. Because these guys, just to me, look like 40K orcs. They look bigger. Yeah. Uh, they definitely are bigger. I don't know. I don't feel like they look that much different. I think part of the problem, though, or difference was the color schemes they chose were like really bright colors. Sure. Which I did not like. The, the um, bad moves. The yellow, yellow was way too bright yeah. for their kind of, they need something rough, rugged. I mean, orcs. yellow contrasts green really well, but it's a really yeah. bold choice for orcs. Like, I, I kind of preferred the old school, dark and menacing, mm-hmm. almost like barbarian look of orcs. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, Chaos has always been kind of more Viking ish. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I always thought that like I like the orcs being kind of feral and tribe tribal, um, but I will say I like the wyvern a lot. The wyvern's sick. The wyvern's really cool. I don't like the color scheme. I feel like they made it too. I don't know. It's just one color for really? the entire model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's hard to actually see all the details because there's tons of details in that. But um, yeah, it looks really cool. So on top of that, flyers are getting new rules: death from the skies, mm-hmm. which I think is a redo of an original book. I think they had a death from the sky supplement years ago yeah. when flyers first came out, and they used it to kind of bridge the gap between the editions. They they used it to introduce flyers to the edition. Now flyers are a mainstay of the edition for forty k. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like a, I guess, an update maybe. Well, it's different, too. I don't think the original one had... This is like adding a whole new face to the game. So yeah. it's a whole separate like a phase. Like phase? Yeah. Really? So there's there's a dogfight phase, I think is what it's referred to, and it actually happens off the board, I believe. Huh. It's something that's like... So they when they had dogfight rules in the old Death from the Skies, and mm-hmm. it just never really caught on. Like, yeah. it was sort of like melee combat for planes, and I thought it was mm-hmm. cool, but it just... The supplement was too brief. And not a part of the mainstay rules when it moved to the edition, so it never really stuck. Yeah, um, but that's interesting. Yeah, they have formations now. Planes can like have like a wing commander, and yeah, they yeah, have yeah. your planes that follow along behind it. Um, they tried that with tanks, I think, back in um, one of the apocalypse versions. They had tank formations. Oh. And they tried that too. So it sounds like a lot of these ideas are being recycled, mm-hmm. and they're sort of trying to see what will stick this time. I love the idea, by oh. the way. Like, I love the idea of plane formations. That's so fun. I think they're trying to bring planes back into like maybe the meta because yeah. tournaments really a lot of players don't do planes or any sort of like aircraft stuff. Because there's so many an- so much anti air, so much sky fire. Like it's hard. Some actually armies to bring have good anti fire. Like yeah. um, like a tower, a good example of this. Mm-hmm. They have huge anti fire or anti air yeah. fire, but yeah. um, not everybody does. Um, okay, so on the on the game front, there's tons of stuff coming out now. Um, let's see. In addition to that, just not on the game related release front. Um, so, uh, as you know, well, as you probably know from the last couple podcasts, we've been actively seeking sponsors for the show, and we do have our first sponsor. Um, Frontline Games has officially signed on to be a sp- sponsor for War Council, um, so you'll start to hear their ads on the show. We're going to start to pimp their products. Um, we also have a, an exclusive deal with them where we're going to be, um, not exclusive, other people sell their stuff too, uh, but we have what they call an Outrider deal where we're going to be beginning to sell their mats. Um, So we'll sell those through the web store. We'll also have to sell those through the eBay store. In addition to that, those are going to be an incentive product for some of our clients. So whereas right now with big orders, we offer uh, terrain credit or um, display boards, we'll be offering mats. So instead of if you do an army with us and you don't want to do a terrain order or you don't want to do a terrain credit or a a display board, you can select a mat of the appropriate size for the amount you spend. So our big clients that spend $3,000 will be able to select a a 6x4 mat for free. And we'll Sweet. just ship it to you. <laughs> that's um, great. So that's you can buy your army, Sweet. and then you'll get a free mat to display it on as long as you spend three thousand um, dollars. And those offers start at around um, uh, twelve fifty, I think. So the twelve fifty clients can select a three by three board. Um, so you know, 
anyway, bottom line is you'll have access to the mats. They'll be free in some cases. We also will give you a straight discount on the mats. We're going to knock, I think, 20% off as an introductory rate. So okay. the $95 mats you can get for about 80 bucks, give or take. Not bad. Um, pretty good. Um, it's, it's definitely competitive with anything you'll see online. Um, and I don't know how long we'll hold that rate for, but we're going to do an introductory rate like that when we first start selling those mats in a few weeks. In addition to that, to help launch our terrain service, which we're going to be starting to offer this spring, or I guess summer, we're in spring now, so we'll start this summer. When that kicks around, we're also going to be offering discounts on mats for our terrain clients, and that rate will even be higher. So if you do a terrain order of a certain size, you'll be able to qualify for something like 25% off fat mats. So bottom line is fat mats are now going to become a mainstay product of our store. It's going to become something that we integrate into our product line, and this is all through our partnership with Frontline Gaming, which we're very excited about. Um, and they will be official sponsors with our show. So... Thank you very much to uh, Reese Robbins over at Frontline, not only for the interview, but for this opportunity. Um, and thank you for everybody over there that helped to facilitate it. Um, furthermore, we're also looking for other ways to expand. So we're going to be starting a regular blog column on Spiky Bits in the next month or so. Um, Rob Bear asked us to contribute a little bit more, so we're going to be doing that. We're also going to be providing some battle reports for them. Um, so we're, we're now actively looking into how we want to reimagine battle reports. And Philip and I were actually just talking about that before the show started. Uh, are you a much of a battle report watching kind of guy? Do you? I am. Do you like um, to watch? I guess. I do. <laughs> I like to watch. Yes. I, uh, I oftentimes will turn on battle reports and just do painting and stuff. So sure. it's like um, background noise. It's great. Well, it's yeah. fun to listen to. I enjoy that. I don't play very often, but I do enjoy the concept and the idea. Sure. And I like to. What do you like the most out of battle reports? I kind of like the smack talk. Like I kind of like <laughs> when they're kind of shooting the shit about with each other. Yeah, no, it's definitely fun when they when it's good personalities of bouncing off each other. Um, some of the games I watch, people are actually getting hostile. <laughs> You're just Sometimes, like, oh, this is a little yeah. awkward. But um, yeah, that I would like, be funny <laughs> if like one of the players just got really like, that happened really with like bad. frontline gaming. I watch their live streams all the time, yeah. and um, there was one guy they had on that, and they were friends, but he was getting a bit salty and uh, yeah. a little bit hostile. And I was like, wow, this is. They even they, even the uh, guys who were like recording it were like, yeah, do we guys just want to start over? Like things are getting a little bit uh, hostile. That? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a live it's stream, like, right? So you can't really it, start over. Well, they'll start the game over. Oh, like do we just need to like you know cool heads and stuff? But it was yeah, it's funny. You know, I had I had my first game in a year uh, the other day with Jonathan. Um, he we played it. We had a we had a uh, exhibition game for the um, the orcs, uh, the Mad Max style orcs, the Tribute Army, and. Um, Jonathan is a he's a fun player, um, and that was the first game I had in a while. And even though we're both fun players, um, it's hard not to get into the game. Like mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like when the rules are you know I don't really care about dice rolls. For me, it's like it's more like it's kind of a numbers game. Like maybe I make some good decisions, maybe the dice fall my way, but I, I shouldn't get mad when the dice don't don't cooperate. It's fine. So I'm not one of those kind of guys. But it's hard to not care a little bit about the game like I, I guess I mean like I'm not a competitive guy I don't care about winning but I find that when I'm in the middle of the game I care about the rules being sort of like I don't really know what I'm exactly saying here I want the game to be played the way it's meant to be played I, I guess is my point yeah, I, I don't like getting soft with the rules um, so I like to have fun but I found that during certain portions of the game I was like I wouldn't say I was heated but I would say I was like I was irritated 
and I had to sort of check myself before I wrecked myself. <laughs> um, so I don't know. But um, okay. So we're going to take a brief break. And when we jump back in, we're going to jump back in with On the Painting Desk. And we will be uh, right back after this. Hey guys, it's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to like at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're at like 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people can be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial. Like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info at for more information, and until you do, put your menus where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into On the Painting Desk now. Uh, so... I will point out real quick is that the last couple of weeks we've had a lot of new viewer viewers I guess it's listenership on the mm-hmm. on the show, and uh, I'm not exactly for sure what that's due in part of. I think it's a combination of just uh, maybe it's more exposure, maybe it's that uh, we've started posting the um, the show episodes on sites like Bell and, and and Spiky, and so I think more viewers are having access to it. But whereas six months ago we could reliably say we had like five listeners <laughs> yeah. now we can reliably say we have several hundred listeners um so Which the most recent yeah. statistics show that we have over 350 unique viewers per episode uh, so thank you to all yes, 350 you. of you guys and some of you guys are coming back and by the way we also are a painting service um <laughs> white metal games and brushwork minis both provide painting so feel free to reach out to either one of us um, you can always email us if you have interest in paint commissions um so let's jump into on the painting desk uh what are you currently working on so for, I guess it's coming up on four weeks now, I've been working on a Stormcast Eternals project. Um, now normally an army of this size is a big army anyway, but this is also a high level army. Yeah, everything is, at the bottom level is Electrum, which right. is all the troop choices, basically, I guess you call them troops and maybe elites. All the lords or HQ choices are all gold or platinum. Right. Um, and that includes a platinum level Star Drake, right. Celestine Prime, uh, Lord Dracos on... It's a huge yeah, one. It's a ton. It's massive. <laughs> and on top of that, like you said, all... So the basic figures are electric, which is our tabletop plus. Mm-hmm. So the lowest troop is a pretty decent standard. Yeah. Like, and then the highest characters are basically the best you can do. I mean, they're like, yeah. they're your top <laughs> range. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, it's a lot of work. It's been. Are you finding yourself exhausted from Stormcast? It's a lot of gold. It's a lot of gold. Um, and I'm, we unfortunately only got like half How many the project pots have you gone first. So I actually at uh, least two pots of Retributor armor. Wow, yeah, so we'll sure. be talking about our favorite paints. I do love this paint, but yeah. my God, I've it's it's sure. everywhere. And the problem with airbrushing golds is it gets everywhere. I'm yeah. finding gold flakes like all over the place. That's like, the problem with, with metallic <laughs> is that metallic, and I think it's because of the flakes in your airbrush. Mm-hmm. They actually kind of like, I mean, I'm not a, a, a physicist, but my thinking would be is that those flakes are like little bits of rock almost. I think and it's mica. I mean, yeah. So they just go everywhere. Yeah. Um, and man, do they stick. I found a piece of flake. I'm painting this guy called Gorm right now for Kingdom Death. And I found a random piece of flake on him. And there's not even any metal on him. There's no mm. metallics on this guy. See, the only it's thing awful. I can think of is that there was one little flake left in my airbrush that somehow drifted through when I uh, 
So yeah. I'm going to have to separate my airbrushes in the future, like metallic airbrush and non-metallic yeah, airbrush. Yeah, that might be a smart thing to do. But. So you've got that. What else are you working on? Um, I just finished uh, turning in today a Lord, a Corn Lord on a Juggernaut. And yeah. This was a platinum level. Yeah. Um, the client requested uh, faces sculpted into the base for like a like a lava base. So kind of like tortured like, souls. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was good. That was my real pretty much my first experience actually You're a doing freehand sculptor. sculpting. Yeah, so I liked it a lot. It's um it was it turned out pretty decent. Um Do you find that your freehand painting skills translate into freehand sculpting skills? It's hard to say. I don't um I mean there's probably a, a connection there, sure. but it's not obvious at this point because <laughs> well, I I think I'm better at freehand right now than in sculpting. So well, it, it's not exactly the same cuz freehand painting is a little more like drawing with a paintbrush mm-hmm. whereas freehand sculpting is more like drawing in 3D. Yeah. So it, it's different. You have to think about textures and it's stuff. Difficult. And but the medium, I'm, too, trying to figure out which right. medium you want to use and yeah. enjoy using. What medium did you end up using for that? I've been using this two-part epoxy Magisculpt yeah. that I told you about. It's um, it's like a dark gray yeah. uh, material that is pretty flexible. You use a little bit of water, and it's really easy to work with. Yeah. It's it dries like a, it's rock like, hard. Right. Um, Unlike green stuff, which dries to kind of a like a soft, soft plastic, a soft plastic. Of, yeah, yeah epoxy sculpt and magic sculpt, like you said, dry to rock. Mm-hmm. They're like, and by the way, once it's on there, it is not. It is hard to get off. You can break it off, but you're going to risk damaging yeah. stuff. So yeah, but That's um, it, it can. It's not. I wouldn't say it's brittle, but I mean, if you apply enough pressure, you can use an exacto blade. You can kind of carve into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but it's not like it's green not stuff where you can peel it away. Not at all. No. Yeah. Um, so even though it's softer and tackier, one of the downsides is, man, is it permanent? Yeah. Um, so, um, so he's a corn lord for the World Eaters chapter, um, and this is actually about to become part of a bigger commission. Um, he sent us a bunch of stuff. Oh. Uh, he sent us some some um, terminators and some. Uh, he sent us a, a, a demon prince of corn and a herald, like the Forge World versions. In fact, it was a bunch of Forge World stuff. It was like World Eaters, you know, conversion kits, World Eaters chain axes. Wow. Um, so it's actually a bunch of stuff, but one of the interesting things about that commission is that because of his pay schedule, he wasn't able to like really dump the deposit in properly. So what we worked out was he had some consignment goods, so we listed those, and so we're doing it on a pay-for-play schedule where he pays an X amount of money, and then we work on the project intermittently, or we wait till the end and then do it all at once. Okay. Um, so basically, right now, he's making installment payments, so to speak. And so I'm the first one. Right. He's made one installment payment so far. Um, I mean, and I'm okay doing that with certain clients. Like, he's a good client. He's bought a couple things from us, and he's a nice guy. So I'm totally okay with that, with the understanding that, like, until the risk is negated, like, i.e. your deposit, we really can't start on it. Like, we have to mm-hmm. wait a little bit. Um, but he's a, he's a cool guy. So that's sitting on our desk, but it's not ready to get started yet. Um, I've been actively kind of flitting back and forth between, you know, I mean, I, I kind of envy you that you have one project going on. Because I have, like... <laughs> eight little projects going on. I'm still working on this Adeptus Mechanicus night. I'm trying to finish that up. I have another night that just hit my desk this week from eBay. Um, I will say one of the nice things about this new box from GW, what do you call this game? Uh, the night game. The Renegade. The Renegade. Yeah. So, you know, so when it released, they released it at $195 for two nights, one premium kit, one basic kit, and then a Sanctum Imperialis on top yeah. of that. They just pumped that price up to $245. So they went oh, they up increased the price. Yeah. <laughs> so they increased it basically like a week funny. after it released, um, which is okay. It's um, still a decent deal. It's a crazy good yeah. deal. It's still it's still a very good deal. Yeah. 
Uh, it's just not as good as it was. That's uh, crazy. They yeah. actually increased the price. Oh, I yeah. guess they realized how much they were getting just screwed on it. Somebody, somebody in there, uh, I mean, the board. Of... The only reason I can, I mean, I'm I'm ninety percent sure they increased the price. The only reason I would think that they had is because sometimes the cookies on my website um, switch like Canadian currency, switch to like Canadian <laughs> yeah, or Denmark currency or whatever. But I'll, I'll double check while we're saying. I had one country pull up and it was like. It wasn't even a currency. There was no numbers. It was just like letters and words. It's like, I don't know what this means. But yeah, I don't know. Well, how that I misspoke. It is still one ninety. Okay. Okay. So really still a great the deal. Price, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that what's weird is like when I was like clicking on another site, um, I don't know how this works. And this is completely unrelated, but I was searching for a relative online the other day and I started getting emails from Maxim saying, and this is, I'm not going to say the role of his name. I'm going to say he's Joe. So it's like, Joe Sr., your Maximum subscription is ready. And I was like, all right, so I guess my relative Joe subscribes to Maxim, but I don't understand how me searching for him online, like through Facebook, led them to believe that I was him. And I don't know how, how this all works. Somehow. That's Somehow. a little sketchy. Uh, it ruins Someone's fishing on your website. They just got um, fishing stuff. Anyway, so since Renegade's come out, we've been inundated with a few requests for nights. So we've had you know one additional request. Um, Jonathan, actually, we bought a box for him. He's going to convert two of the knights into um, Gorkonaut and Morkonaut. Oh, nice. Because uh, that's actually cheaper than mm-hmm. buying two Gorkonauts and two, Mor- two Gorkonauts because you get the extra terrain plus you get premium bits. Um, so it's a killer deal. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm working on that. Um, Helios Guard are coming back. Those are a Space Marine chapter we've worked on in the past. Uh, Gorm, I mentioned him for Kingdom Death. This giant, creepy baby, creepy monster. baby monster. <laughs> like it's a like fish, like right. hanging thing. It's like his... it's like the back half is a is like a, an elephant, and then it melds into like this baby with this weird mouth full of teeth. Yep, and like hands and arms and stuff. Oh man, it's great. I love it. Um, it's so weird. It's so gross. Uh, I just I adore it. <laughs> um, yeah, most of the Kingdom Death stuff I felt like remember a couple weeks ago when I said like it's mostly just sort of like soft porn Gorm yeah. is not soft porn no, Gorm is like, like nightmare he's like creepy. nightmare stuff yeah he's some creepy. of them are like the Slender Man that's a weird, that's a creepy as hell there's one that's too. called like the nun or something like that or mother the mother the yeah. grandmother oh, fucking penis biting off tails yeah. shit literally so some <laughs> of this stuff just seems like these guys just smoked a lot of something uh, and then we're like this would be a fun mini let's do that and the project manager didn't inspires these things, but um, so not on my painting desk or your paint. Well, I'll, I'll add one last thing. So I'm also working on this rock band stage for one of our um, orc clients. Who uh, f- now all the Mad Max stuff is gone, shipped, moved on, but uh, in some way or form it remains because people have now started to request special doof wagons like that mm-hmm. seems to be the most popular model we did it looked freaking sweet it was cool a great job thanks very awesome. much yeah. so we did a, a third one this guy requested the third one and so that was doof wagon 3.0 and then another guy requested a goth stage so i did like this rock stage with big awesome. like amplifiers and it's got lights and smoke machines and it's got the rockers on the back and it's really fun um so that one will be finished up here soon uh, so yeah, I mean that's everything on my desk. We also have a Tau army that just came in that we sent that right to Val. Yep. So Val is currently working on that. Um, that'll be a cool, and that's a black army with red hexes, kind of like an energy field. 
Uh, I was thinking it would be like because you were talking about Tower, I mean, that was going to have like a marble effect. Yeah, that was another guy, and that that commission did not come through. No, okay. um, and mostly because it was the marble effect was going to be very expensive. Yeah, I mean, I don't um, even know how you could do it like yeah. in a timely manner. Right. No so the quote, the quote is high, and yeah. uh, I mean, that's just that just goes to show you, like you like what you like, mm-hmm. but you know, we have to charge accordingly. Yeah. So, all right. Was there anything else on your painting desk or? Uh, no, not personally. Not really. Okay. No. All right, well, we're going to take a brief break, guys, and when we jump back in, we're going to jump right back in with, um, well, we were going to, uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry, I don't know what we're talking about. So I have a special guest on the show today. His name is Jamie Sawyer. Uh, so we're going to do a rotating segment called Battle Brothers, and we're going to talk about his recent book, The Lazarus War. He, uh, Jamie is, used to be a commissioned painter for me, uh, and now he um, is an author. So quite a, right. quite a change. Quite a turnaround. So we're going to do a, a brief interview with him, and uh, we'll be right back after this. If you're interested in advertising on War Council, let us know. We can be reached at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. Rates are extremely competitive, but there are limited slots available, so please contact us soon. All right, guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into Battle Brothers. This is one of our rotating segments. Uh, On the show today, we have a very special guest. Uh, His name is Jamie Sawyer. He joins us all the way from across the pond. Uh, well, where are you exactly, Jamie? Are you in England specifically or in London? Or? I'm, in England. I'm in England. I'm in Chelmsford. So, yeah. Okay. I have no idea where that is. Um, I'm about <laughs> as American as, as they come. So, um, so Jamie, just to give podcast listeners someone, uh, some, some background, uh, many, many years ago, I'm not even for sure how long ago now, um, you did some commission work for me. I was uh, outsourcing some projects and... And you, you are, in fact, or you were, I don't know if you still are, but you were a commission painter at the time. That's right, yeah. No, I still do it. I still do it, yeah. Um, you, uh, you were a great painter. Uh, do you just do it for fun now, or do you still do it as a commission thing? I still do it as commission painting. I mean, it's just, it just take on less, but no, yeah. I still do it. I'm looking at some Eldar Wraith Guard in front of me at the moment. Is so, there, uh, yeah. Do you have a website people can check out your work so they see that we're not, we're not yeah. busting our way through this? What is, what is that website? Uh, the website is twitchydroid.blogspot.co.uk. Cool. Um, and that is where I do all the commission work from there. So, and post whatever I'm painting at the time. So, great. So, um, twitchydroid.blogspot.co.uk. So, people can go over there, check out Jamie's work. Um, but I think more importantly, you transitioned uh, from the last time I talked to you from a commission painter into a full blown uh, no- novelist. Like, you were a writer. Like a writer That's with, right, with yeah. books and published books and that kind of thing. Yeah. So why don't I mean, you walk us through that journey a little bit? How how does one go from commission painting to uh, to full on writing? Well, the link is probably um, just a love of science fiction, basically. And um, I basically care. I I just I've always written in my spare time, and I was traveling to and from work. On a, on a big job I was working on and I ended up spending about two hours on the train each day okay. and you know after about three months I'd written the draft the first draft of, of the book that eventually was released so, so that, and that, would that's be, that would be Lazarus that. War I'm guessing that's right yeah the book is called um, The Lazarus War the book series is called The Lazarus War and book one is called Artifact which is the one that just came out um, last month basically so, wow, you literally did this just commuting on a train back and forth to and from work, or at least the first draft. Yeah, and the first draft. It felt like I'd 
you know, done a lot of work on it, but the reality is that that was just a first draft. So sure. um, that was basically how it came together. And then there's, there's a lot of other steps in between there. But um, the upshot was I'd written the book and, um, and that really ended up being the basis for me then getting an agent and then selling the book and the book series as it then became to um, a publisher. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm sure we could do a whole show about how that happened because you just basically paraphrased what I think people spend years uh, at trying <laughs> to do. That you know, It sounded very simple when you explained it that way, but I'm sure that it was yeah. much more complicated than that. I will ask this. Were, did you have any sort of background uh, in writing before you jumped into it? Or were you just more of like, look, I'm a fan. I love this kind of – I love science fiction. I'm going to give it a shot. Like, what was your background before you jumped on board? My background probably is a lot closer – to your to your second um, your second proposition, okay. and I'm not a formal writer, right. um, and I've always loved science fiction. But what it really came down to was uh, just teaching myself. And you know, there's no right or wrong way when you're writing, especially science fiction. So, okay. so yeah, that was it. Really. I've not got a formal background in it at all. So let's talk about it a book, a book about a little bit about the book. <laughs> so the book is uh, the series is called The Lazarus War. The first book is called Artifact, and uh, uh, I could I could summarize it, but why don't you give uh, give our listeners like I don't know like a the tagline, the pitch, the, the the thirty second preview of what the book's all about. Yeah, well, the thirty second preview is this: the book is the main character of the book. Our narrator is um, Captain Conrad Harris. It's a very strong masculine and- name. Yeah, he is involved in a in a war um, against an alien race called the Krell, and he basically pilots copies of himself in this space battle, the space war against the Krell, uh, and that means that he can die and keep coming back to life. So every experience, every death he, he experiences, he learns from, and. His team of, they're called simulant operators, that's the technology that they use, they pilot simulants. Um, his team is sent to investigate the loss of contact with a remote, um, a, a remote monitoring station, a science base, which is uh, investigating something called the artifact of the title. And this artifact may hold possibly a key to stopping or preventing the war with the Krell. So um, it's quite important to the Alliance war effort. That's basically the book in a nutshell. So um, I had, first off, I didn't, until you contact me about this, I'll I'll be honest, like I'm not a big sci-fi reader. Um, I I tend to read (laughs) whatever my wife kind of sends me. She'll sort of say like, hey, this is pretty good. Why don't you check it out? And so it wasn't on my radar at the time, but I was very glad when you reached out to me because this book uh, as you kind of explained it, it feels like a lot of movies and books and comics that I've read, yeah. but it borrows elements from all of them and it kind of weaves them together in a way that's unfamiliar. So it, it sort of feels like yeah. one part Starship Troopers, one part Avatar. Uh, it kind of reminds me of some of my favorite video games. I feel like a little Dead Space was kind of going on uh, in there. And yeah. so like there was all these different things that I loved kind of thrown all together into this uh, sort of jambalaya of fun. Um uh, and the book was just it was it was uh, I'm a slow reader, uh, but it kept me going. Like at, you know, once I got into it, once I started to, to meet Car- uh, Harris and the characters, it kind of drew me in. Um, and the story is simple enough that anyone can really jump into it, uh, but it's rich enough and full of enough detail that that, that you really kind of feel the world. It's, it's like a lot of sci-fi books, you get kind of lost and 
all of the bullshit, and you know, some of them are too techy, and some of them are techy enough. And this this seemed to run the line right between there. So I think uh, it's kind of yeah. a gamer friendly. It's not necessarily like you know young millennial stuff or, or young adult kind of stuff. It's not that generation. I think anybody can enjoy it really, as long as they like a sci-fi read. Yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean, when I set out to write the book, I really wanted to write about the things that I enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And bring all of those things together into, as you say, kind of like a bit of a tapestry of the things I like, really. Um, And I think probably when I started writing it, I wasn't obviously thinking about publication. I was just thinking, this is what I, these are the things I like. And I wanted to make it accessible as well, as you say, because a lot of science fiction is bogged down in either hard science. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to face it that a lot of our ideas from science fiction, um, they just aren't going to happen. Sure. You know, I mean, there is no economic basis for sending a squad of troopers, you know, light years into space to no. investigate something. Well, and, um, and the only and so, the only justification I think in your book is that this this weapon, this this thing, this artifact that they're going after has yeah. has implications that could end this war. Uh, so yeah, the exactly. characters have a very good reason to go after it. Absolutely. And I mean, I've tried to tie that in as well with Conrad Harris is is, um, quite central to the book and he has quite a large backstory, which is explored in the book as well, um, as to why he has a personal investment in the war and why he wants to investigate um, this artifact as well. So all of those things I tried to tie together. And that was the result of the book, book Artifact, really. He, he's got a lot of good motivations to go after it. Not only, like, and I, I don't want to spoil things in this in the show, but, you know, he's got personal reasons, and then he's got, you know, the simulant experience is kind of de- described as being almost addictive in the book, kind of like a, yeah. a, a psychological drug, sort of. So you, you kind of get that it's kind of like, it's almost like an alcoholic. He can't quite slake his thirst no matter how many times he goes into battle. So he's kind yeah. of like an adrenaline junkie, but he, you don't quite get the impression whether or not that was bioengineered that way. Like maybe they made it that way to sort of keep these guys on a leash. So I came away from the book with way more questions than answers. Uh, and and <laughs> that, was, that was good because like I, I kept thinking like, all right, because one of the things I like about writing, because uh, I do some I do some screenwriting whenever I can. Uh, one of the things I like about it is that I love when you set the ground rules up, you kind of give us this new sandbox and you're like, here are the rules and here's how this world works. Here's how simulant works. Here's how this works. And you're very clear about how things work. And that's always the great in book one. What I'm looking forward to in book two is how hopefully many of those rules get broken that we we've established what can happen. Now let's completely throw that on its ass and see where these, where these characters can go. Uh, Because the end of the book is left very open ended. There's nothing but space that opens up before the characters where you really go like, all right, what's next? Where do these guys go? Um, yeah. So I'm, I, for one, I, I really enjoyed the read of it. I'm very excited about where it goes. Speaking of where it goes, you have uh, two more books in the series, right? And they're either out now or about to be out. That's right. Well, the way it worked out was that when I got the publishing contract, we had uh, electronic releases first. Sure. So books one and two in the series, the trilogy were released electronically as eBooks. Okay. Um, and book two is called Legion. Um, and that has been released electronically. It came out last year, okay. and it's due to release. I th- it's certainly on the 26th. It's coming out in the UK of 26th of May, um, and um, it's I think coming out on the 31st of May in the US. Okay, uh, and that's Book Two Legion, 
And then in August, the trilogy finishes then uh, with book three, which is called Origins. And um, there's also been an e-book released, uh, a novella, as a sort of a companion to the series called Redemption, which is also out now on, um, on Amazon and other booksellers. So, yeah, that's basically the way the series works. So if people like the book, they can pretty much read the se- sequel immediately. And uh, the, the third one, they don't have to wait long at all, like end of summer, basically. Yep. So uh, now is a great time to, to sort of get into the book. Yeah, and I hope if people get into it, hopefully you'll really want to, you know, you'll really want to get into it and read through all three books because they are a real story arc. You know, there's a real arc there and a, a wider story for these characters. And since these are e-books, they can download them on their e-readers like Kindles or, or Fire, whatever. Uh, so people can enjoy them anywhere. They can take them with them on the go. They don't have to have a physical copy. Um, so yeah. it's super convenient to them. Um, and if that wasn't enough, you have, uh, you're going to give away, was it two copies of the book? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Kind of, yeah, two copies. So guys, the way we're going to do this is this is a special thing that Jamie has offered to do for our podcast listeners and guests. And, uh, what we're going to do is the same day this podcast airs, we are going to co-release uh, a blog, a blog post on spiky bits, uh, which is spikybits.blogspot.com. And um, that's over there by Rob Bear. You can check it out. When we release that blog post, all you have to do to be entered into the winning or the drawing for the two books is just make a comment. Uh, hopefully something positive. Uh, tell us what, if you've read the book, if you like it, uh, you know, and uh, if you've seen Jamie's work, you know, let him know you like his work. Uh, or let us know anything. Let us know what the weather is like where you are. But you just have to comment. Uh, so those comments will all be sort of, you'll all be entered into a drawing for that. And then we'll give it, uh, I think, about a week. Uh, or so after the posting date. So you have seven days after the posting date, and then Jamie will randomly draw two winners. That's about it, yeah? That's it, yeah, that's the plan. So he'll um, ship you a physical copy of the book. That's a regular you know, book with pages and paper and spines and a normal book. So if you're the kind of guy that likes to dog ear his book pages like I do, like to make highlights and notes and things like that, then this is perfect for you. So there's no excuse not to get in this because you can get a free copy of the book, up to two free copies, uh, and you can get it on your e-reader, so really, it's super accessible. Uh, well, I don't want to give away any spoilers from the book, so uh, Jamie, I just want to say thank you. It, it was it was a fun read. I think our readers are really going to, our listeners are going to enjoy it. Um, so be Excellent. sure to check it out on Spiky Bits uh, after the podcast airs, and you have a chance to win two copies of this. You're going to sign the book. I will do. Yeah, right. I'll certainly sign and dedicate so it now, to it. Now, now, now they can't read it. Now they have to put it on their shelf for when you're big and famous, so they can sell it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, brief glimpse into one of our past painters and a current writer. And that just goes to show you that you too can be a, a published writer if you just take a train two days, two and two hours a day to and from work uh, for months and months on end, and uh, put in a lot of hard work. So, Jamie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Cheers, Kai. Thanks very much. Of course. And guys, you just hold on one second. We'll be right back after this. Need a model assembled or painted but no money to spare? White Metal Games is now offering trade-ins. Send us pictures of your old models, bits, boxes, even new kits. Make us an offer we can't refuse. Don't like negotiating and haggling? White Metal Games also offers consignment services. You can send us your old models, books, games to sell. We sell them through our eBay store and you pocket 55% of the sales price. You don't have to worry about eBay fees, PayPal fees, shipping fees. There's no crazy percentages, just easy money. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com today. Hey guys, welcome back. 
All right, we're going to jump into um, tips on technique. Now, the last couple uh, episodes of the show, we've been um, exclusively bringing in these guest artists, and they've been uh, interviewing with us via Skype. We've talked to you know, Pixies and Pistols, Frontline Gaming. We talked to... Um, uh, who else have we talked to recently? We've been talking to a lot of different guys. We yes. talked to um, <laughs> so that game company that they're doing... Um, Death Ray Designs? Uh, well, we did talk to yeah. them briefly, and then we also talked to that other guy that was doing the Wild West game. Oh, yeah, Exiles. We also, Exit, yeah, Exiles. And then we also talked to Nate from Vendica. Mm-hmm. So we've just had a ton of guest artists, but we're going to kick it a little old school today. Um, we weren't able to line up our guest artists the way we'd hoped so. We do think we're going to be able to get him on the show um, eventually, but due to the whole time difference between Denmark and here, it's just been really hard to line it up. So today we're actually going to talk about paints. Um, we wanted to do a paint episode and... Um, that was why we were trying to line up Bo from Army Painter, but unfortunately, like I said, he's not available. So instead, we're just going to talk about paints ourselves. So one of the questions I get a lot um, from clients is, what paints do you use? And um, I think it's a good question to ask. It's, it's mm-hmm. like how, you know, most people, I feel like whatever range of models they get into, they pick the paints that are exclusive to that range, i.e. Privateer Press has their range of paints, yeah. has their range of paints. If you're a painter for Reaper, they have their range of paints. Mm-hmm. But some people mingle, and um, so I wanted to sort of talk about what different brands and paints that we've tried, different quality comparisons, um, uh, you know, talking about what is the advantage of certain paints versus other paints, and, and then maybe kind of talk about some of our favorite paints, mm-hmm. and like which paints that, what are paints we can't live without, paints that are mainstays of our, our product line. Um, so um, I guess just to start off, maybe... Um, what paint brands do you use? Let's just start there. Sure. Um, so I was basically born and raised with the Games Workshop. So sure. <laughs> I, uh, many I'm, people come in through Games Workshop. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the case with a lot They're of people we've interviewed. <laughs> yeah, three interviews and stuff. A lot of people would agree that GW is the way. But sure. um, so I've kind of had a hard time deviating. I've always been using their paints. Um, They're a solid paint. They're pretty good. I mean, a lot of people love, or there's a love-hate thing. Some people hate them, some people promote them. So I know some, like Awakened Realms almost uses them exclusively. Sure. I see them all the time using their paints. Um, now, that could be partially, I'm going to play the devil's advocate for a second. It could be that through their distributors, they're able to get GW paints cheaper. Yeah. So it could be that, like, I go through a lot of paint. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of, like, when they have eight artists painting around the clock 40 hours a week or whatever... They're going through a shit ton of paint. Yeah, you got to. So oh, if you can get that paint at a product at a wholesale discount. You almost have to. You're yeah. losing a ton of money. It's expensive. But um, but let's not assume price is a factor for the moment. Yeah. So, so I've found, uh, you've recently been uh, introducing me to Army Painter more and more, and I've you let me use a few paints. I found I actually had a couple sure. somewhere stored away. Really? Yeah. So um, I've actually been loving uh, a lot of the uh, Army Painters for base colors. Yeah. I find that the colors go down very quickly smoothly and um it doesn't require a lot of layers um and there's a few there's one in particular that i've been using a lot of gun metal um that will i guess we can talk about that now maybe just yeah, the sure. paints of it. I mean, so that's one of my five paints that i've found that i've really enjoyed using um just because it's so quick to apply it doesn't take a lot of time yeah um, and it's yeah so it's super helpful i also use their matte black a lot i've actually found it's comparable to the color of abaddon black yeah which is great. Um, I didn't even know. So this is Army Painter matte black? Yep. That's really cool. Yep. And it goes like one layer almost every time. It covers even like the gold I've been doing. It's been you very know, helpful. <laughs> I think it's important, it may be not important, but sort of useful to kind of go through like the basics. And this is one of the things we were going to talk with on Bo on the show today. But 
we can talk about this a little bit, is that when people think of paint, first off, years ago, I never thought of what was in paint at all. Right. Paint is basically made up of a very few simple ingredients. It's a solvent of some sort, which helps to dissolve the paint. Mm -hmm. It's a binding agent of some sort, and it's the pigment. And that's the basic concentration of paint. If you take a raw pigment, like something that's um, like a, a weathering powder, and you add a solvent to it or some sort of medium to basically float it, and then you need some sort of binding agent to sort of make sure that it clings to the, the model you're going to apply it to, you roughly have paint. Now, different paints have different additives. Some of them help to smooth out paint. Like, for example, you mentioned the other day that the Army Painter gunmetal um, color mm -hmm. um, is super smooth, kind of silky. Yeah, it's milky almost. It's almost way. milky, yeah. which leads me to believe that they put some kind of additive in there to sort of smooth yeah. out the mica, um, which I really like because yeah. the coverage yeah. is super great, um, and it's not chalky. It doesn't really like um, and, you know, so different paints have different qualities. Mm -hmm. But the other thing to consider is that different paint brands are going to do their paints differently. No one, like, for example, let's say five companies have five different versions of black. Well, none of those are going to match. Like, if right. you were to paint them side by side, they'd all have different characteristics, like in terms of the drag quality of the paint, the coverage, the matte, mm -hmm. um, that kind of stuff. So, really, when we shop around for brands, at least for me, I find that different companies do different paints better. Like, I'm not a fan, for example, of GW White. I just oh, I don't, I I don't, I don't even know what their white is, but I, I don't use it. Uh, but I'll say it's that, so like, bad. Reaper has an incredible white. They call mm. it pure white, and um, I'll, I'll use that as one of mine. It's my go-to white. Okay. Um, it's super bright, but it's also very, very smooth. It goes on clear. It's not chalky, but it also dry brushes really well. Right. Um, one of the things that I find is that white is normally shitty for application, but great for dry brushing. The pure white by Reaper does both. I have to pick that it's up. It's incredible <laughs> coverage. It's it's in a dropper bottle, which I have my own problems with Reaper's dropper bottles. But that's the only problem I have with Reaper products mm -hmm. is their bottles, their applicators. The actual paint itself is phenomenal. Um, so what I find is that when you're comparing your basic paints, like let's say your go-to colors, blue, you know, black, white, a few metals. Try a couple different brands out because you're never going to, you know, figure out what you love until you try some different things. Um, like GW's metals, if we can backtrack for a second, some of their metals I love. Yeah. I used to love bolt gun metal. Their new equivalent is called like lead belcher. Lead belcher, which I hate. It's a problem. It's, it's a not a good paint. Yeah. yeah. It, the coverage is poor. It dries too fast. It's like it's just it has way too many problems. Yeah. Um, However, their retributor armor. Is amazing. It's a good gold. We've, uh, I've been uh, I, I rave about this color. It's their new gold that uh, they came out with it. I think la like a, about a year ago with the Age of Sigmar. Actually, I think it was released out simultaneously. Um, Gold's a tricky color. It is. Yeah, this is like a really bright, vibrant. I use it in the airbrush a lot, and yeah. it it's amazing. The application It's yeah. a very vibrant gold. It's great. I do washes on top of it and you dry know, brush more gold. Do you on think top? that it's when Stormcast was coming out, they were they realized they were going to have to have a better gold, so they redefined? Their yeah, because they had Balthazar gold, which is a really it's a really dark, dark brownish yeah. gold. Now Balthazar gold is great for like a base gold mm -hmm. if you want to highlight or something like yeah. up to a brighter color. But it's True. almost a bronze gold. It's like it's yeah, too, I think it's it fits better for like a dark brass. Right. Not, yeah, like bronze or brass maybe. It, it kind of reminds me of Warplock bronze a little bit. Mm -hmm. Which I like that color. Actually. I'm a huge fan of that color. That's not on my top five, but it's a great color. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with Stormcast stuff, because it is so much gold, if they didn't have a go-to gold, that might not have been a good product. No. 
Valsazar would have been a terrible gold right. for that. So. And I don't remember what their old bright gold was. Maybe it was they didn't just, have one. No? They had Gehina gold, which that's is right. like the next step up for Balthazar, but that's very yellowish. Yeah. And then the dry brush one was like Aura, Ar- Auric Armor or something like that. Or, yeah. I can't remember. Or Griffin gold. That's what they my, basically... My problem with gold over the years has been the coverage issue, is that when you apply gold to anything, it's usually pretty thin. And the mica flakes are pretty, pretty small, so they kind of like flitter all over the spot. Um, and I've tried some different stuff. I tried Vallejo as a liquid gold range, and I tried those, which are an alkaline-based or an alcohol-based gold. Um, and those are okay. But, um, you know, gold is just one of those tricky colors. So I always had to really work hard to work gold because I would mm-hmm. base it up from, like, a brown. And then I might even paint, like, a yellow before I lay the gold on there to give it a base. And yeah. that's just too many layers. Yeah. It's too much work when what I'm hoping for is one simple layer of gold applied. Um, now, good. as good as the Army Painter Gunmetal is, their greedy gold I don't like at all. Oh, really? It's kind of the opposite of gunmetal. It's not silky. It's not smooth. It's just, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it. It's gloppy. Hmm. It doesn't really apply well. Um, so I have to kind of mix my brands like that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely hit or miss on some of those things. So it's good to experiment. But um, you mentioned alkaline metals. Uh, one of the, <clears throat> something a little different, there is an alkaline metallic paint. Um, that I've used a few times, and it's like a lead belcher equivalent in terms of color, but it... So like a dark metal? A dark metal. Um, they make a whole range. I mean, they've got every metallic color you can think of. Sure. But um, it is a, it's a really strong metallic color. It's You need to wear, wear like a who, respirator who makes this airbrush one? this. It's, um, I think it's Testers. Okay. I, they sell them in like model airplane shops and stuff it's like that. Testers. It's not a standard. It's either Testers or Aztec, then. Yeah, something like that. So... <laughs> Um, Actually, I think Aztec is a brand of testers. I think it's like a, it's a sister company to them or something. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, yeah. Well, you'll definitely need to use like a respirator. Um, it's and this stuff does not come off. Like if you want to clean, uh, put it in like a stripping agent, mm-hmm. it will not come off. Wow. Uh, I I tried to strip um, uh, Imperial Knight with it that I had based in that, and everything, all the paint just melted off. But that did not. So it it fuses with the plastic. So just be warned if you ever want to use alkaline paints. Um, it's an airbrush type uh, paint series um, made by I think Testers, and um, yeah, just be warned there. So. so I mean, I mean, I think already now we're starting to see that not only are there different brands of paint you should think about, but also different types of paint. Mm-hmm. Like not only like airbrushed colors, but now we're talking about alkaline based colors, mm-hmm. and like that doesn't even go into stuff like enamel based paints. When yeah. you think about, like, when you do old-school model cars, they used mm-hmm. to come in those, those bottles that, like, smell like, you know... Well, basically, yeah. it's kind of like nail polish. Yeah. Of. It's an enamel base. Um, and that stuff, like you said, is super permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I really have found over the years is that there's no one brand that does it for me. I have to try different things, different brands. Have you um, tried any of the P3 stuff? Have you tried any of those I have not. No? no. So I, I find that they're generally, like... They're they're very good paints. In fact, some of their paints, like the the opacity is really good. The coverage is really good. I don't love their bottles. Their bottles are like wicked old school. They're kind of like uh, are they like GW? I mean, they're open. They're like the old GW models, like oh, the okay. GW bottles from twenty years ago. Which, <laughs> frankly, I, I like better than the new GW paint pots. Mm. Um, they're not really bottles. They're they're paint pots, but I like them a little bit better. Um, I don't like the new GW paint pots because what I'm finding is they keep popping open on me. Yeah. So I'll come back yeah, to my desk after a day or something and I'll have paint that's dried up because it yeah. popped open. So now I'm starting to find that some of the paint pots, I have to put a rubber band on them to keep them closed, which 
seems crazy to me. There was a video I saw recently where a guy just converted, he mixed them with a little bit of Liquitex um, to thin them down and then poured them into dropper bottles. He said he bought like a hundred dropper bottles for like 10 bucks maybe yeah. and just converted it that way. It's a pain in the ass, but yeah, I was gonna say the it's time, maybe the time a better, factor is, is, is huge. It may end up saving time though and money because if you're sure. using a lot of airbrush stuff, a dropper bottle is just so much more efficient. You can get dropper bottles really cheap online. And in fact, I'll try to find a link to one on eBay and I'll, I'll, I'll post it in the show notes if I remember. Um, hopefully I'll remember as I, as I edit this podcast. But um, I, I think that is a great idea. I think that maybe maybe do one a day <laughs> until yeah. you're through. Because someone like me, I have like, you know, a hundred different GW bottles. So it's like, man, that's going to take a lot. Well, he did like five of them, I think, in a couple of minutes. It wasn't really? too bad. That's yeah. cool. Um, I would find that getting all the paint out of the bottom would be like... Well, that's what you said. The Liquitex and stuff, like you got to mix it in, mm-hmm. pour it out, and then mix a little more in and shake it up. Sure, and make sure, sure, sure. And then... That makes sense. You will lose some paint, but... Overall, it's it's probably saving more time than. That's cool. Um, so again, there's what I'd like to do is, is just kind of go through some of the different brands that, that I use on a regular basis before we go through everything. I know you said you don't use P3. I actually do think P3 is pretty great. What about Reaper? Do you have any experience with any of their paints? I do not have any experience with Reaper. So basically, you have experience with GW paints and um, pretty much, and I'm slowly branching out yeah, 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 to yeah. other things. So let me ask you this then, because I obviously, I obviously have tried a lot of different paints. What is it about the other paints? Is it like, is it, is it a fear factor that you won't like it? Mm-hmm. Is it a money factor? Is it a loyalty factor? Like what stops you from branching into other paints? I think the biggest thing is there's a little bit of a fear factor. So you don't know what you're going to get with that. Well, you didn't know what you were going to get with GW at first either. Right. But I also, well, I've had a, a lot of, Enough time, I think. In but you try brand. out new colors, right? Like which I actually done. bought the Ultimate Paint set, which okay. has every color. Okay. So, and by the way, I was an employee of GW, so I was getting at least fifty percent off. So, the cost to you know risk was very low. That's but a lot point. of these other brands, you know, you've got you could buy a paint; it may not be good, not may not work for what you want. Sure. And then you just wasted like four dollars. It's true. But that's for one color. So if you want to try all these other paints, you got to spend a lot of money to test them. And it's, it's difficult to do Do you think it that. would be worthwhile for game stores to have, like, uh, a paint test area? You know, have you ever gone into, like, a Home Depot and they have, like, a spray paint yes. thing, <laughs> booth? Yeah. Sometimes people just use the floor. Yeah, those uh, holes I've seen in those yeah. are, like, covered in colors. Right, 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 right. And they'll have a sign that says don't spray paint, usually yep. in spray paint. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think that, like, if a game store had, like, let's say, a paint test area, that would be useful? Where people could try out, like, yeah. a paint brand, and that way they could see, like, what's the basic coverage. Like, have a few standard brushes, some paint wells, some water pots, uh, and then just basically invite people, like, to test it out before you buy. Yeah. Like a, like a trial run or something like that. I feel like it'd be really hard to do. People would just be absent-minded. They'd waste it. They'd, I mean, I guess you could just use crappy brushes, but, like, they'd probably True. destroy your brushes. You'd have to, I don't know. I don't think it would be practical for, like, just this general hobby store. Sure. Like, it'd have to be for, like, painters who actually care. Sure. <laughs> Otherwise, people would just be wasting stuff. But that makes sense. It would be nice to see. I, I mean, there is a website, I think, on, I think it was Daka Daka, that had, like, a comparison of, like, all the different colors. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, GW's Corn Red is equivalent to Vallejo's Red, whatever. Well, that's just in, had, that's, but that's just in comparison of color and final yeah. product. That's not in comparison of, like... How many layers did it take to obtain that opacity? Yeah. Or what's the texture of the paint? Or what's the cost of the paint? Like that's just simply saying these colors are close, but it doesn't say what took what it took to get there. True. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that's interesting, but um, 
Well, uh, why don't we list a few more paints? So now we've sort of explained a little bit. So um, I'm going to also add um, Scorched Metal to my top five. Um, this is a Reaper paint. This kind of reminds me of a Warp Lock Bronze. But what I like about Scorched Metal, um, and people don't think about this, but and the reason I, I use Scorched Metal is um, because of the fact that um, so often those little extra details on your model really make it stand out. So anytime I have a flamer or a melted gun or anything that's going to get hot, like an exhaust uh, pipe mm -hmm. or uh, a cannon barrel or anything, I always find that if I'm going to add a little bit of scorched metal to the tip, uh, it, it gives it that hot metal look. And scorched metal is just super simple and, and easy and quick. It goes on really smooth. It's got a silky texture. I really like it. Um, it it's kind of equivalent to like warp lock bronze. And we're really getting into more like how do you do your technique kind of thing here. But um, for me, as I as I go on, I find that I find these little tricks that I like mm -hmm. to use. One of the tricks I like is 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 blackening gun barrels or blackening or, or heating up the ends of flamers or that kind of thing. Because it's a little pop of color on an otherwise very bland looking thing. Like at the end of the day, a flamer is kind of like... Yeah, you just, just paint a, it just metal and then it looks... Yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty dumb. It's like, so why not give it a little pop of color? Yeah. And I found that with Reaper Scorched Metal, I can do that very, very quickly. Uh, and then I go that extra step as well, and I grab like a metallic blue and just pop that on the very tip, and then I, I call that a day. And for what's basically two to three minutes worth of work, man, does it make it stand out. Like, yeah. It's just, it's an instant difference on the, on the thing. Um, so, yeah, that's one of mine. What's another one of yours? Um, so... Uh... I guess to name another GW paint that I like to use. So I use a lot of, um, I like to use a wet palette. And I found that certain colors work really well for helping to get transition smoother. Sure. Carrick Stone is a color I found myself using a lot of. It is like a, a light brownish tan. Yeah, I've used um, it a little. I haven't used it much. I use it a lot for mixing in other colors to give like highlights and things. Okay. And it's a soft, it doesn't, it's not like using white where it's super Bright. strong. It gives yeah. a nice soft transition. Um, so that's my go-to color for a lot of things. That's great. Um, I never even yeah. thought about that as a mixing color. I've just mm -hmm. always, you know, here recently, and this is one of those things that I've been learning, is that um, Reaper has this whole range of colors they call highlights. They'll call it like dark skin highlight or blue highlight mm -hmm. or whatever. And I've noticed that they're very, very thin. And for years, I thought, well, that's stupid. Like, why would I use such a thin paint? But the reality is, for highlights, you need a thinner paint. Yeah. And all you're basically doing with Carrick Stone is you're using that to sort of bridge that gap. You're transitioning into a highlight or, or mm -hmm. whatever. That's really cool, man. Um, you know, I haven't really thought about too much about Carrick Stone, but that's it's with white paint. Uh, the pigments are so strong, yeah. they're so bright that it's almost like if you mix white into anything, the white almost overpowers it. So you have to be very, very like you have to be careful. Yeah, super light with it. You can't. You, a little goes a long way. Yeah. Same thing for black, frankly. Like, if you mix mm -hmm. black into something, it's, it's very strong. And I think this is, again, goes back to the pigments that are used. It's just very, very, very powerful. Um, it makes me wonder what the pigments in Carrick Stone are. Like, I wonder what the base of that color is. It's a layer, so technically all the GW layer is very, it's supposed to be very uh, mm -hmm. thin. Yeah. So it work, it lends itself to blending much yeah. better. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure, like, specifics. <laughs> so, um, outside of, like, basic blending with brush, let's talk about airbrush paints for a second. Mm -hmm. um, so, you mentioned, like, for example, GW now has a range of airs. Um, I think Ford World might have a range of air paints, too. Yeah, they do. Um, so, different companies. Now, obviously, you can take just about any paint, for yep. the most part. You can dilute it down. 
and you can turn it into an airbrush paint. But the reason that I like to select airbrush exclusive paints is for time. Like I don't have to sit there and I don't have to pre-mix colors. I don't have to thin them to the right thinness. Um, so they come bottled ready to go. Right. And so it's not a question of like, you let. yes, you can argue that if you buy a paint pot and it's thicker, you're getting more for your value. But time is valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Like I value how fast I can airbrush. And rather than sit there and grabbing the color I want, putting it in the paint well, mixing it and thinning it, and then, oh, is it too thin? All right, I need more paint. Like, I don't do that shit. Yeah. Like, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to pre-mix a bottle of it. I'm going to go ahead and get the color I want, put it into an empty dropper bottle, thin it to the point of airbrushing, and then keep that and set that aside. And I do that with a lot of paints. But with a lot of the go-to paints, and I'm going to use Minotaur as an example, Minotaur does an exclusive range of airbrush paints. And you really can't use them for painting because they're too thin. Um, the, you could, I guess, for highlighting, but you really couldn't for, like, opacity. But it, they're, they're silky smooth. They go on really well. Um, what do you think of airbrush-only paints versus, like, let's say, regular paint paints, like brush paints? They're definitely thinner. Um, I have occasionally used them to paint on models with a brush just sure. because they're thin enough that you don't have to worry about thinning them down. Just instantly apply a quick highlight. Um, I guess one of the nice things about the companies matching their own colors is that you can apply it with an airbrush and you can mm-hmm. do touch-ups with a brush brush. Yeah. And you can guarantee that's, 100% that's match. huge. Um, there's a few. So airbrush range. I have a few GW ones. Um, just usually the colors that are hard to airbrush. Sure. like. Um, some of their lighter colors. Um, my some of my go-to colors are actually not, not even a modeling. Do they make imperial that, primer in an airbrush form? Uh, they don't. I don't know if you could just convert it. Like I mean, I think you could there. convert. I use Vallejo though for, I do for any like airbrush yeah. stuff. Vallejo is fantastic. I use their primer. They have a thinning um, yeah. agent that I use the Vallejo airbrush thinner. I use that for a lot of GW stuff, and it's great. How big is the um, Vallejo thinner bottle? It's pretty big. I mean, I've had my bottle for over a year, mm-hmm. and I use, do a lot of work with airbrush, and I still have about a quarter of it left. Wow. I'll be needing a new one soon. But um, a, a brand that I've started using or bought some a while ago was Golden. Golden originally made... Is this a Vallejo cre- Golden? No, no. This is the name oh, of the brand. Oh, that's the brand. Yeah. Oh, okay. so, oh, that's right. You mentioned this to me a while ago. Yeah. So they're, they make acrylic paints more for, like, canvas, uh, but they released an airbrush series. I want to say it was a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um not a huge diverse range of colors, but they do have an amazing white. Uh, it's called titanium white. I remember you talking. I use it for that. my airbrush, um, and I actually used it for the Corn Lord um, Juggernaut. I used it as um, on top of a black, just so I could put the lava down. Sure. Um, so you laid the black first, you airbrushed the primer, white, yeah. and then airbrushed yeah, the other lava. So like a, white. you did a zenithal grayscale kind of highlight. I didn't actually, I just went straight up white on top really? of it and okay. then applied yellow so I could build up from a brighter Did you find that some of the black was still stuck down in the shadows? No, too? not really? at all. Okay. Yeah, it's a very strong white. It doesn't, because it's an airbrush type paint, I don't find it flaking as much. Sure. So it's big of risk with bright colors is when you're airbrushing, a lot of times you'll get like a speckling effect. Yeah. And it'll kind of, it's an overspray. Usually that's because the paint is not thin enough or mm-hmm. you're using too high a PSI yep. or too low a PSI. There's so many things that go into play there. It's right. very difficult to control. Right. Um, and it's come down for me just finding the right colors that seem to, that it's less likely to happen. Sure. Titanium white is one of those. that Vallejo makes a really good white. Um, airbrush paint does it yeah they make, a, they make a white primer that's actually because white like we've said is kind of this weird tacky 
mm-hmm. tacky color. By tacky, I mean like it's 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 hard to work with because yeah. the pigments are thicker, they don't get ground down enough, or whatever. So it makes it great for dry brushing, but shit for airbrushing. Um, but somehow, certain companies are able to sort of figure it out over the years. <laughs> Vallejo figured it out with their white. Because I'm not a big fan of many companies' white primers, but Vallejo has a great white primer. I've used their gray primer, yeah. which is fantastic. They I have, love that. Vallejo has a great range of primers. Mm-hmm. Like they have like, and you could buy them in 200 millimeter bottles. So I do that because they're only about 20 bucks. So price per per milliliter is super cheap. So it's in, for me, I do a lot of priming. I do all my priming through airbrushes. So I go through probably I don't know. You know, if I go through, let's say, six or seven bottles of primer a year in just black, so that's almost 1,400 milliliters in just black primer. That's just black. Mm-hmm. And I'm counting with whites and grays and other colors that I use. But they'll have, like, they have, like, a bronze green color, which is this really deep green, and they have a German red-brown, which is a really deep red. And so a lot of times when people say, like, I base, I prime with my base color, that's what these Vallejo colors do, is that they combine a primer with a color. So you don't have, just have to prime black or white anymore. Now you can prime That's nice. prime in your color of choice, or yeah. at least something close to it. That saved you money too. Like unfortunately, GW's ways, you still have to prime black and then do like their spray right. can stuff, and you're just like. And like you said, if you're going to prime <laughs> this color, but then you're going to go to red or yellow, mm-hmm. well, you're not going to prime black to go to yellow. You're going to prime yeah. black and then go to white, then to go to yellow. Yeah. No one's going to print paint yellow over black, or if you are, don't. It's impossible. Right. You'll never get a good yellow. Right. It's a You'll normal. get a weird greenish. <laughs> yeah, it's ugly. Sickly. You ugly. Know. <laughs> Um, so anyway, this is a long way of saying that, like, uh, I am a big fan of the airbrush exclusive colors. Mm-hmm. Minotaur makes some great ones. I'm going to name one real quick. And it's called Envy Green. And the reason I mention this is it is my go-to green OSL color. And, um, so Envy Green, even though it's technically a paint, it's more like a, a candy or a tint. So it really doesn't work unless you apply it over white for the most part. But what I find is when I do OSL, or object source lighting, um, is that let's suppose I'm trying to paint the, we'll use a Necron vehicle, for example. Um, I want to paint their Gauss weapons green. So what I'll do is I'll paint, uh, I'll splash a little white on the, um, the, the, the rod, maybe, and then I'll use the enemy green. And what happens is it stains the white light green because the white is a base, so now it's brighter. And anywhere the green oversprays, which is not white, will be darker by default, which gives a glow-like effect. Nice. So, um, Envy Green by Minotaur is just, it's kind of a great go-to green because not only is it thin enough to work right off the bat, it also has a great pigment concentration. So it's a really, just good green. It's like a really mm. true green. I really like the color. Um, and they make a whole good range of colors and other sorts of greens, uh, you know, everything, really. They've got over 100 colors now, I think. Um, so that's one of mine. Um, you ha- have you ever played with the Cretex colors at all? I know you I did actually. Ah, you here we go. gave me a red Cretex, I think, to use okay, for uh, the yeah. uh, prime. That was a fantastic it's color. Great color, right? Yeah, I think it's airbrush ready too. Right? It is airbrush ready. It was, Cretex yeah. makes so Cretex makes not only airbrushes and compressors, but cleaning products, uh, to, you know, li- you know, liquid additives, and of course paint. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of their big claims to fame is paint. And um, their opaque range of colors are huge. They're so good. Yeah. Um, and that red was fantastic. Like, it was very... That's I, actually one of my five. Gold, I think, red. actually. Yeah. 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 They're, uh, they just... You know, and they have a whole range of colors to explore. Now, the downsides to their Cretex, the bottles are hard. <laughs> they're like... Yeah. They're made out of a hard plastic that's really tough to squeeze. But you get a lot per bottle. You get, like, 
I don't know, 60 milliliters or something like that. How much is it? I mean, how much, I don't know, like uh, five bucks maybe? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like two or three times what you'll get from a basic dropper bottle. Yeah. Um, airbrush ready. And some of their paints are thinner than others. Um, like they have a whole range of trans transparents. They have this color called bright green, which is a transparent. And I really like to use it as a green OSL, as a darker green. So I'll use that in combination with the Inmood green to create concentric rings of, of light. Mm. So I'll use the, the transparent green from Cretex for a dark, and then I'll work my way up to the, the, the Envy until I do a final pop of like white with Envy. Um, and uh, it just works really well. Okay. So they're great colors of paint, and you get a lot for your money. Yeah, sounds um, like it. Uh, the last color I'm going to kind of mention, well, I've got two more, I'm sorry. So um, uh, Army Painter, we mentioned them earlier. They make a color called Skeleton Yellow or Skeleton Bone, I think is what they call it. And um, I find that for me, that's a great color for painting parchments and bone, both. Mm. Because that's one of those things that when you're painting space rings or, or anything like that, a lot of them have parchment and scrolls. And skulls are a mainstay of any gaming product, really. Like, there's skulls on everything. So rather than change over to do two different colors, I'll put a little of the skeleton bone in my palette, and I'll use it for both. And yeah. I'll just wash them differently to create a different final effect. Like, if I want to do the skeleton, you know, bone color, I'll use that on the basic of the bone and the parchments. Do it in one fell swoop. I'll wash them with different shades of browns, and then with the actual skulls or whatever, I'll highlight that up with a white. Whereas with the parchment, I'll highlight it up with maybe, let's say, a tan or something. So the final product will look different, but I'm not wasting time going color. between colors. Yeah. I do the actually the exact same thing with Carrick Stone. I've been yeah. doing that with the skulls and all the tapestries on the yeah. Eternals. So it's um, helped a lot. We talked a little bit about matching colors earlier, and this is something I wanted to get into real quick, is that... Um, so I find that if you are an airbrusher, let's say you're laying a base color down and you um, need, later need to go down and touch up the color. Uh, I'm going to list Vallejo Black as one of my um, go-to, my, my final five, my final fifth color, um, because of the fact that I find that painting with the same color of black that I used to airbrush the base coat is useful. Because mm -hmm. if I ever need to touch up the color and I use a different black, it won't match. So I need my airbrush black to be the same color that I can use on my brush. And Vallejo black is actually, so it, it can be used in an airbrush with a little thinning, but it also has enough opacity to work very well as a paint color, as a basic brush color. So if I ever need to match my base color or my, my uh, primer to my base coat for whatever reason, I need the same color. I need the same black. Um, which is partially one of the reasons we mentioned this earlier why GW paints are useful is that their colors match like yeah. Retributor Armor matches Retributor Air or whatever um, and certain companies are catching on to this in fact Army Painter has caught on to this they do spray paints that match their paint range yeah. smartly um, so you can spray paint and then do touch ups with, with the basic paint um, so yeah um, well, before we jump out of this segment, is there anything else you want to sort of lump into all about paints today? Or, I mean, I think that gives us, you know, I guess maybe we should round this up with some advice. Um, my first tip would be don't limit yourself to one brand. Yeah, definitely like, not. Like, try different brands out. I think Philip has a good point in that it's going to cost you a little bit to try, but uh, find ways to mitigate the cost. Share the price with a buddy. Maybe mm -hmm. you guys could go in on a color. 
You can ask too. I mean, there's what like, I've watched a lot of videos and stuff, um, okay. just other painters yeah, and sure. see what they use. Uh, a lot of them will rave about certain paints. Uh, one of the reasons I found gunmetal was mostly because Caleb recommended it to me, but also. Um, I know, I think it's Kenny with a Next Level Painting. Yeah, Kenny Boucher. Loves that color, too. Yeah. Um, and I've actually tried colors based on his recommendation. He so. was, and he's a really good example of mm-hmm. mixing paint ranges, because if you yeah. watch one of his videos, oh, yeah. he'll, <laughs> use, all he'll use some Vallejo, some P3, some Reapers. GW washes, I right. see him use a lot of, but he, I've never seen him use any other color yeah. than GW, so... Yeah, and what you find is that over time, you you as a painter, you're going to start to trust colors mm-hmm. because I'm not going to waste my time. like once I find a good go to color, I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, like I'm going to stick with Army Paint or Gunmetal from here on out, the, un, unless they change the brand. I'm going to stick with Skeleton Bone from them. I'm going to stick with uh, like my go to rust right now is um, Reaper makes an orange rust, which is phenomenal. So like I'm going to find those mainstay colors, and this helps to unify our brand as well. Like, not only does it save us time, but our clients can expect similar results on multiple right. projects. So, well, do you have any good tips you want to sort of, I mean, I, I think try multiple brands. Don't don't be a stranger to new paints. Try them out. Do you have any uh, words of wisdom? Um, I'm trying to think of something, but nothing's coming to mind, unfortunately. <laughs> but that's all right. Um, so we, we hope that this, this old school rock back to just me and Philip shooting the shit has been enjoyable to you guys. Um, we're going to take a brief break and when we jump back in, we're going to jump in with our one minute rant or gush. And I think we both have rants this week. Yeah. I think we're feeling ranty. Um, so we'll be right back after this. Let's be honest. You'd rather be playing than painting. Let White Metal Games take the hassle out of painting and assembling your miniatures. We have a team of dedicated professionals who will make sure your miniatures stand out on the tabletop. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. White Metal Games. Put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into our one minute rant or gush. Um, If you're new to the show, I will explain that we generally don't like to be negative naysayer kind of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't like podcasts that are negative i don't like it um so to get around that we allow ourselves a one minute uh, window per week or per show uh where we can either rant about something or gush about something so we can either you know use this as a chance to air our grievances or sing our sing praises um so i'm gonna let you start this off this week you've got a rant i think yeah so put one minute on the metaphorical clock click um so I have been kind of dabbling in new, a new territory uh, with stencils, trying to get kind of my foot in the door, um, finding out how to make them and all that. And I actually ended up buying a few from a company called Fallout Hobbies. And it has been a pain in the ass. Um, I ordered these stencils a month ago. Okay. Tomorrow will be in one month. So it's been 30 days. Um, Are they a U.S.-based company? I believe so, okay. yeah. I have had no email communication other than my one email, or I've sent a couple of emails. The first email I sent was to find out, hey, you know, where's my order? It's been three weeks. Um, and I just got a link basically to the frequently asked questions. I was like, right. all right, that's fine. It's going to take an extra week or two because he has to make them to order. Did the response come back automatically? Was it I don't automated? think it was automatic. I think okay. he actually typed it out. So he faked an automated response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't that informal. I mean, he actually did say hello and all that and tried to be nice about it and all that, which is fine. Um, 
but I haven't heard anything since. And it's been another, it's been almost another two weeks since that initial email. Now, do you think this is because his company is not doing well? Or do you think it's because he's... He has a lot of products. So I would imagine he would be able to fulfill the orders, at least in a somewhat timely manner. Or at least email to let the customer know, hey, I'm behind. Or, hey, Do they have stock levels on their site or anything? I get the feeling that, no. No, I think so he makes a new order, order. Yeah. which understandably would be the, why he has a five to ten business days to create the product or sure. like get the because he goes home at the end of the day he has a regular mm-hmm. job he's like all right now I got to pump out these six stencils or whatever yeah and five to ten days is t- completely reasonable a month yeah, is a little ridiculous pretty, pretty long. and I haven't heard anything back from him I wanted I mean I was the stencils look great um, and I really want to give him a test and you know talk about them but. I was hoping I'd be ready for this show. But unfortunately, I haven't even been able to look at them. So. One of the things we've kind of been figuring out is that because our business has been growing, thanks to, you know, obviously clients like you guys listening right now, but also thanks to our, our regular client base, um, is that as we grow as a company, our needs change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here recently, we've been talking about different ways to branch out and do things. And when we can't find entrepreneurs that are in the game that are able to provide it, like, I've been very impressed that all of the people on our team have been like, well, let's do it ourselves. So when you were like, this stencil guy is fucking me over, like, you were like, you know what? These stencil machines aren't that expensive. And you kind of came to me with some solutions, and I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, when we went out and we were looking for ways to do, um, uh, uh, I, mean, I don't know, just different stuff. Like, we, we, basically, if I can't do something, I look for someone that can. And if they won't do it for us, then we have to dig into learning how to do it. Yeah. Um, so my rant today is on mid-level entrepreneurs because, like me, many of the businesses we reach out to probably like fall out. Um, these are single-man operations or small-man operations, just a few people. Mm-hmm. Usually they start out of a garage. They build their hobby business slowly. Not even just hobby businesses, but whatever, like businesses down the street. Uh, what do they call them? Like um, when they're single stores. Uh, there's a there's a trendy name for it. Uh, a small business. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what it's called. It, it's like boutique. They call them boutique. Oh, boutique. Boutique yeah. businesses. Um, so um, I think what happens is you build your business up and you start to see some success. You get a website up. You're starting to get product orders. You get brand recognition. And then what happens inevitably is your brand gets bigger. And then you somehow get scared. I, I don't know what happens. Maybe the risk is higher. Or, but, so my, my rant for the day is to get mid-level entrepreneurs, grow a fucking pair. Like, <laughs> get off the, like, either shit or get off the pot. But if your business has grown and you've gotten to this point, you can't stop taking risks. You have to mitigate your risks, but you have yeah. to still continue to grow your brand. You have to continue to grow your product line. You can't stop, you know, trying this stuff. And what I've found recently is that as we've reached out to other businesses to partner up, they're they're fucking hobbits in their little houses. They don't want to do it. Yeah, and I don't know. If <laughs> That's it's a great because, way to I don't know if it's because they're scared. They don't yeah. want to go on a quest. I don't. I don't know if it's the, uh, the, the hobbit is going to die. They're shire folk. I, I don't <laughs> know if it's because that they they built something from scratch and maybe uh, now they're. They're jealously hoarding it and guarding uh, that's, it. That's that's the impression I get. Anytime yeah. you've come back and we're like, "Hey, we've got a great idea. We want to like group up with this individual and work with them." It's always been like, "Well, they just don't want to do it." Yeah, and it's and these are crazy like ideas. A, like I reached out to a base company the other day who makes some great resin bases, and I'm not going to name them because mm-hmm. I love their product and I love what they offer. And I was like, you know what? I did a pitch. I emailed them. I was like, hey man, like. This is who I am. This is our business. Here's some of our numbers. Here's some of our traffic. Here's what our sales were in last month. What I want to do is exclusively 
sell your bases, not exclusively, I don't want him to not sell to other people, mm -hmm. but I want to be able to market your bases to my clients at a discount. You'll make money, I'll make money, you'll have a whole new client pool. And these people either don't get back to me or don't respond or respond with a no or whatever. And I don't understand the problem. I'm not yeah. trying to take bread out of their mouths. Like, I'm trying to build their... I think it's their... going to increase their business. I agree. Because they'll get more traffic on a product that may not ever be seen. Right. Exactly. And and so, like, I, that's one of the reasons that I um, am so excited to be where we are right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm finding there's this weird glass ceiling where other businesses don't want to share the wealth. Let me be very clear. I want to share the wealth. If you have a product that you feel like would be good for our service or good for us to market, contact me. Email yes. us at info at whitemetalgames.com. I am not above partnering up. I want to expand my business actively. Mm -hmm. And I want other businesses that have something unique that we can offer to help us. That was the whole reason for contacting Frontline in the first place. was like, yeah. look, you guys have maps. We have models. Surely we can do business. They're still selling their maps through their web store. They're still selling their maps to all the different vendors out there. We're just one more outlet for them. Um, exactly. And by default, they're going to be an outlet for us. So it's like, it's a win. So mid-level entrepreneurs, grow a pair, man. What are you doing? Like, don't get comfortable. Now is not the time to get comfortable. Now is the time to grow. Um, so, yeah. Kind of related, I guess. So yeah. Like, I guess maybe total... What's that guy called? Fallout Boy? Or what's his name? Fallout Hobbies. Fallout Hobbies. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back in, we're going to jump into our outro. And we'll be right back after this. Are you a tabletop quality painter in the Raleigh area with 10 hours or more a week to spare? Have you ever thought about becoming a commissioned painter before, but you weren't sure it was right for you? White Metal Games is looking for talented painters in the Raleigh area to join our studio team. You're paid by the job, not by the hour, so you can paint at your own pace. Send us pictures of your painted models to info at whitemetalgames.com, and we just might be interested in speaking with you. Put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back. That takes us into our outro. We are out of here this week. Um, next time on the show, uh, we should be interviewing Justin from um, Secret Weapon Miniatures. He's agreed to be on the show. This is something that Carlos was trying to set up for yeah. us back when he was here. And um, finally, we just um, we were able to get out to Justin. And uh, Secret Weapon Miniatures is kind of a, kind of a one-stop hobby shop. They got a huge range of products. Yeah. I was very impressed. Resin bits, conversion bits, bases, paints. <laughs> I was like, good God, this guy does everything. And it's a one-man thing? Uh, well, I think he's got a small team. Okay. But I think that he was one man at first. Okay. I, I mean, I think if you look at his About Us page, you'll see that he was an entrepreneur working for, like, I don't know, like Fortune 500 companies or something. He got out of that, launched his own hobby business. Um, and I think one of his biggest claims to fame, one of those things that sort of started him off was that, um, was it Awesome Paint Job? Um, awesome Paint Job used to have this range of um, washes. Um that they they kind of developed, and he, he listed the recipe on his site. You can probably still find it if you dig around. But they started to sell them through Secret Weapons. So now you can go and buy these washes that he basically engineered, uh, and you can buy them through Secret Weapon. But then Secret Weapon did the smart thing, which is they added other products. They added paints, resin bits, conversion bits, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so now you can go there for just about anything. Yeah. Um, one of their coolest things that I really love is their tiles. They have these 
one by one foot tiles. I saw those. Yeah, yeah you can buy those in um, big packages. You can buy them in big enough to do a whole table worth. Now they're different. They're tiles, so they're hard. They're plastic hard plastic. They're vacuum Ford mold plastic, so they're hard plastic. So it's the same plastic you see in like the GW um, Battle Realm boards. Yeah, but okay. in a smaller scale. And what's great about them, what turned me on to them, is that they're great for display boards, mm-hmm. and they're also great for um, for transportation. Like if you're going to a tournament and you need a mini display board, like take three or four of those, yeah, um, or even six of those, you can make a little three by two. Um, so you've got enough to do that. You could partner up with your buddies. You can buy a, a whole box of them for about three hundred bucks. Partner up with your buddies. Each of you spend seventy five dollars, and you each have a display board. Yeah. Like um, so, I mean, well, there's four buddies, I guess. Um, anyway, so he should be on the show next time. Um, uh, I guess in the meantime, um, you can reach out to us um, through various means. You can find us um, online, obviously, at whitemountgamescom slash podcasts. You can also find us on iTunes. You can download us there. Um, iTunes, um, it's not iTunes slash White Metal Games for War Council, but look for War Council on iTunes. By the way, we certainly don't have enough reviews. We don't even have a rating yet because... Although we have more listeners, no one has bothered to rate us yet, so please rate us. Yeah. Um, tell us what you think, even if you don't like the show. I'm okay <laughs> with that. Like, I would just like a rating. I would like to know what people think. If there are things you'd like to hear about, uh, feel free to email us at info at whitemetalgames.com. You can also find more of um, Philip's work at Brushwork Minis, Facebook slash Brushwork Minis. Um, you can find out more about us at White Metal Games, explore our page, explore our galleries. Um, and what else? Is there anything else you want to think about before we sign off this week? Uh, I think that pretty much covers it. So uh, definitely uh, comments would be great. Critiques, um, things that you like about the show, things you don't. Anything like that are always always helpful for us. We're kind of still a growing podcast. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of success this year. I think inviting guests onto the show has been great. Yeah, Um, That's been super helpful because people want to hear that. They don't want to just hear us talk. Although today they get that, whether they want it or not. Uh, But in general, I think inviting guests on the show was useful. And we did have Jamie on the show today, so they can enjoy that that Mm -hmm. interview. So, albeit brief. Uh, And there will be a sister companion piece to that show. There will be a blog post. Uh, And like I said on the interview, Jamie's going to give away a couple books. So look for that. Uh, In the meantime, uh, my name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. And I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And until next time, put your minis where your mouth is. Thank you.